It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm not James. And I'm not Dennis. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. or fellowship. Today, we'll be sharing experience with dealing with trouble and recovery in this episode 23 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Woohoo. Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. Hey, Mike. How so, are you? So I want to dive into something personal before we jump into the topic. So Valentine's Day last week. All right. Anything in particular? Killer. Games. Okay. Okay. Played. Okay. With your lady T. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything to show her you love her? I sure did, Mike. Okay. Do you want to share that with the peoples? What's that now? Local <laughs> <laughs> card. I made sure I did all the dishes in the morning and made her breakfast. And um, just uh, I got her a couple flowers, and I bought her some new um, sports wireless earbuds. Because, wow. Yeah, she was complaining that the ones she had, one were wired, and they kept falling out of her ear. So I got her ones that, that kind of wrap around the mm. ear, and um, they're wireless. So she's... It's awfully she kind. She loved it. So I learned the hard way last year. I, I wanted to write something that was very poetic, so much so that I Googled uh, great things for Valentine's Day <laughs> for, uh, for mothers because it was last year was the first Valentine's Day that we spent as uh, our child was born a year and a half ago. So I took something from Google and I wrote it word for word in the card. <laughs> And she found out that I did not write it. Oh no! Plagiarize your love, love poem, dude. Because it was too good. Because I mentioned it at work, and she heard me talking about it. And now I knew that it was something, but it was like I think I'm just paying me twenty bucks. I'll write you. That this is a good write. It was from like Walt Whitman. So I'm like, there's a famous thing. (laughs) (laughs) So next time I am gonna pay. Dennis to actually just come up with something because uh, I, I learned the hard way. So this year I just wrote uh, for, a line from Forrest Gump. <laughs> what line do you think I put in the card from Forrest Gump? Jenny. <laughs> that's that's actually it. I just wrote Lieutenant I, Dan. You got legs. I wrote another female's name and then I was talking about a paraplegic. Is what I did in this card. This this is why you slept on a couch for a week. Yeah, my back's all jacked up. So the topic <laughs> is trouble on Valentine's Day, um, which is no uh, trouble in recovery. Okay, okay, okay. So. If you can think back to when you were new in the program to right now, there's many things that come up. And something that I'm glad that I heard in my first meeting was that the steps and what you learn in the program doesn't um, make life 
completely problem-free. What it does is it takes problems that come up in life and gives you solutions. So instead of using a drink or a drug, like a lot of us did beforehand, it gives you a way to live. I want to start with you, Dennis. Um, what trouble have you faced in recovery the last, what is it, two and a half years, almost three? Um, I would say, you know, Valentine's Day was pretty rough. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, oh, I guess, obviously, like, life is life, like you said. Like, we come into to recovery, and, and it doesn't just become, like, rainbows and sunshine every day. Like, life still happens. But like you said, we're able to, like, show up and, like, deal with it, it rather than how we used to deal with it. Um, I think the biggest thing that I probably had to deal with was the death of my grandmother. You know, like my grandmother was very special to me. I was close with her. I lived with her for like four years. And, um, you know, like the best way I can describe my grandmother was like, she's what taught me what unconditional love was. You know, like the grace of God is unconditional love. And, and no, like all through growing up, no matter what I did, I'd get in trouble for skipping school or getting arrested or doing drugs and alcohol. And, you know, my whole family is like pissed at me and angry and just wants to discipline me. But every time I saw my grandmother, all she did was hug me and love me. And it was so unconditional. And I think without that example in my life, I don't think I would have had another example of that anywhere in my life that I would have noticed anyways. Um, so like dealing with like her passing or whatever was, um, you know, it was hard, but at least I would like, before I came into the rooms and I was, you know, isolating and stuff like that, I didn't show up to family things or, you know, nephews and nieces, birthday parties, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all the family get togethers. I stopped showing up to those. But because of when this happened, I was able to like go and visit her several times before she passed. I was able to see her uh, like just a week before she had passed. And I was able to like go down there on the day that she w did pass and was at the hospital when she passed and all of that, you know. So, yeah, that's probably the hardest thing that I had, like most emotional thing that I had to deal with. How much time did you have in the program at that point? Um, and what step were you on? I think I had completed the steps by then. Um, I think I had like maybe like a year and a half. I think it happened like a, a year ago or a little bit, maybe like a year and a half ago it happened. So I had about a year and a half. Uh, James, and, and I, we will touch on uh, maybe... You know, what helps you get through that most uh, in a minute, James, yeah. as far as trouble in recovery, what like what moment comes to mind? Well, <clears throat> when I when I think about this last time when I came into the program, I I probably had just a, a month of sobriety and uh, I found out that I had a blood clot in my left lung and my lung was slowly dying. And um, at that time, um, you know, I had decided to stop drinking and doing drugs. I had the white light experience. At that time, um, my, my employer had stopped paying me and my wife. We worked together at a, at a startup company. And um, <clears throat> we had been evicted from our apartment. And our car had been repoed. All of our stuff was in storage. 
and it got auctioned off. Everything from childhood. All this happened within the first month of sobriety. I mean, granted, all my decisions up to that point led to that too. But um, what I remember the most is feeling that, you know, I was going to be okay. Um, we didn't know where to go. Um, uh, we knew my parents lived in Nebraska. And um, I called them up and I was like, hey, we don't have anywhere to go. Can we come up there? And my parents, being the loving parents that they are, they're like, yes. You know, we also had two cats and a dog. And um, we had um, an older car that was, by the grace of God, given to us uh, because we had no transportation. And all this trouble accumulated, and we were sober. And we started driving, um, you know, up to Nebraska. We stopped in Orlando um, because I still had um, issues with the blood clot. I had got um, some medicine for that, some blood thinners, and I'd been in the hospital. But I had to go back to the hospital. And I told him my plans, and I was I was actually hospitalized for another five days, and um, my wife's parents ended up um, just taking pity on us and bringing us in, which is a, a blessing because I was um, I was going to be so far away from my children who who live in Miami, so you know I believe that through all that trouble uh, came a point in my life where I was able to be at peace with it and um through it all I, I didn't drink and that was just in the first month of sobriety it's it is funny how like each of us have have different things that we we dealt with but if we isolated and didn't share about it and didn't uh continue to to do what uh you know did you, did you guys ever feel like they like early in sobriety the pink cloud that they talk about where everything's good and you're like un untouchable and that you got it? Did you have those moments? I don't I don't know if I specifically had like that type of pink cloud. Like I was so miserable. Like when I went to my first meeting, I had hope. So I, it was that I was still miserable, still dealing with my depression and my anxiety, but it gave me hope, which gave me a little bit of energy to be able to move forward or whatever. And then I've had, since then, I've had moments of like that pink cloud where like everything just seems to be going, falling into place, you know, like go, not necessarily going my way, but going the way it's supposed to be going and like with joy and bliss and stuff like that. You know? <clears throat> yeah, I don't, re I remember an overall feeling of, of peace and just knowing everything was gonna be okay. I didn't feel joy. But I felt that I was going to be okay. Like, like finally, like the chaos is is has stopped, and I can start rebuilding. So I, you know, I, I feel that pink cloud on a daily basis now, and I feel mostly joy in the day. And and I, I just look up and I, I thank my higher power. Um, but early in sobriety, it was just um, there was, wasn't a lot of joy. It was just kind of a, a peaceful feeling like like I knew that it was over and I could start again yeah I um I don't know I don't know I, I guess the pink cloud uh, moment for me because every day was gloom and doom and I was so negative with everything 
that any day that I don't feel like a weight on my shoulders that everybody's out to get me, that's like that's my definition of uh, of pink cloud. And I had that early on as soon as uh, I started working with my sponsor, and I felt like everything was great. And I I think the first um, bit of trouble that I felt was was probably when after a year and I mean probably like little things but something I would consider trouble a year and a half into sobriety uh you know we were told you know don't make any big changes in the first year but um I was really struggling with working for my father-in-law and there was an opportunity that my wife had to move down to the Orlando area and the even though it was self I guess self uh imposed or uh, self-induced trouble it was stepping away from my home group and moving down to celebration and I made sure that I threw myself into the fellowship because that was really important and I think these suggestions it's funny it's like sometimes at the time I don't understand why you know, I have to call three alcoholics a day early in sobriety or why I have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days or why my first sponsor said, you're moving to Orlando? I, I'm not sponsoring you over the phone anymore because I hear plenty of people say, oh yeah, my sponsor's in Philly or my yeah. sponsor's in California. But I'm glad he did because, so I had a year and a half sobriety and I was here and then pretty much what was it about a year and a half went by and my wife gave birth to our child um two months premature when uh my daughter was only two pounds and if it wasn't for the fellowship that i threw myself into a year and a half earlier when i first moved to orlando i i would have been just a freaking mess you know and and there were people in my home group that I texted and did little meditations in the bathroom of the um, the hospital as we didn't know if we were gonna lose my wife and my child. And I knew I was just gonna be a mess, you know? And there were different friends that were like, you know, you never have to drink again. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to, and they actually came and drove out of their way, you know, like an hour out of their way to just have a cup of coffee with me for 20 minutes in the waiting room, you know, and to do that, um, you know, and say prayers and, and send different messages and the, the fellowship so important. Thankfully, everything turned out okay and my wife made it through and my child now is 19, 19 months old and 19 pounds and healthy and doesn't have anything that's preventing her from having a great life. Um, but without it, I mean, I even, I told my wife, I, I said, you know, like if I was in this situation and I didn't have a program, I probably would have snuck away and said, okay, well, I got to go let the dogs out at home. And I probably would have drank and I would have uh, been drunk. And my tolerance was so that she might not have even known, but I wouldn't have had any of those memories now of you know, my daughter being born and me being there, 
Uh, you know, when I stopped drinking, I had the DTs, so I probably would have been doing that and needing to always, you know, get my drink in. And my mind would have been on that instead of, um, you know, actually being of service, which when something like that happens, there's really not much service that I can provide. It's not like I could have done anything outside of just if my wife needed anything, you know, go get the doctors and everything else or just transporting, you know, uh, the breast milk down the hall to the NICU as she was in there for 41 days. Um, but just actually being there, you know, those things in trouble. It's funny that the the solution of reaching out to another alcoholic, and at that time I did have a sponsee, and as I was in there, I was chuckling with my sponsor because my sponsee was he had something that in scale to him was equally as as troubling because his parents didn't believe that he was getting sober this time around when you know it wasn't like a life or death thing it was just he was mad at something that his mother had said to him and i was dealing with you know possibly my daughter not making it through and not like living at least for the first three weeks it was it was pretty a hairy situation and it's like i'm so grateful that i can actually step out of myself for a minute and uh kept me right-sized you know to be of service and how important that you know i think that really is as we're going through it so uh dennis you you mentioned about your grandmother passing away and you being there um what do you think the the program, if there was one thing that it helped most make the situation less difficult, what was that? Um, I think it was it probably I'd have to say like the fellowship, you know, the herd, like you know, I'd obviously talked to my sponsor about it as soon as I found out and like knew I had to go down there, like you know, at the spur of the moment, like, oh, we're leaving now, this is happening kind of thing. So I was able to talk to my sponsor briefly or over the phone or through text or whatever. And, you know, just the sense that, like, knowing that I didn't have to face this alone, you know, even though they weren't, like, my friends and my sponsor weren't physically with me there, I knew that I wasn't facing it alone. They were a phone call away, text message away, You know, I think I did utilize that, you know. So, you know, where before, like, coming into the program and when I was out doing everything, it was, I always had this constant feeling is like, I'm in this world alone. It's just me. I'm dealing with this stuff, you know, whatever. And then once you come in and, you know, like, kind of the stuff that you were mentioning before, when you're forced to talk to people, forced to, like, whatever, and what that's doing is, like, building this fellowship. So when life does come up, you aren't alone, you know? I think that's probably one of the most valuable things for me anyways in that situation, you know? Yeah, how did your uh, how did your sp- sponsor handle it? Did you like br- bring it up to him when she was, she was not doing good and then when she passed away? How was he there for you? Yeah, I think, I yeah, I'm pretty sure that like, you know, it was a long time kind of coming. So like, you know, a lot of big, my big problem, and, and especially early recovery, was trying to overcome this isolation and anxiety or whatever. 
so like when I first took a trip down to Tampa, like which is like hour and a half, two hours away or whatever, that's a big deal. So like my sponsor knew about that. And then every time I went down to visit her or go down there for whatever reason, my sponsor was well aware of it. So by the time like this had happened, you know, it, it had been like a buildup. It was almost like dress rehearsals of like, you know, expanding that bubble, overcoming that fear and stuff. So by the time that it happened, I didn't necessarily have the same anxieties about going. I was obviously filled with emotions and, and, and all of this stuff, but I had already like expanded that bubble enough, overcome enough fear that I was able to do it. So my sponsor has just been there as a support in a way, you know, not, someone that I can unload on like these feelings and these fears and stuff, but then also someone who has pushed me out of that bubble. You know what I'm saying? Like encouraging me to like, you know, like, yeah, you're scared, but you can walk through this fear and be fine. And I think that's, you know, like one of the most powerful things for me is that I used to see the fear and I would run from it. And he kind of encouraged me to walk through it. And then through doing that multiple times, I was able to learn that like, you know, it's not as bad as the fear, you know what I'm saying? And that the fear will dissipate. So it's, it's, he's pretty much a support system and like a coach, like get out there and run, you know, mm -hmm. like James, good morning. Hello. <laughs> Why are you always laughing? Because <laughs> you're funny looking. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to say same question, but then usually what comes back is, wait, what was it? Um, <laughs> when it comes to the program. And also your sponsor, so it's it's a two parter. Hope you you got your seatbelt on. What part, part of the what, first part of the program, and then how your uh, sponsor helped, what you shared with your sponsor of your uh, your trouble that you were going through. Well, you know, after I moved here, I I too like you had a sponsor uh, back in West Palm Beach, and. Um, he actually suggested to me that I need to get a new sponsor. So, you know, right away I found a sponsor and, um, actually I found the sponsor after, you know, I was in the hospital. So I was kind of, I didn't have a sponsor at that time, but, um, you know, afterwards he, um, I told him everything, you know, I was going through what had happened to me. And he made me convince him that he was an alcoholic. And I was like, well, did you hear everything I just said? <laughs> He's like, okay, well, as long as you're convinced. And, um, you know, that was the, the start of it. He, um, he did um, mention to me that, um, you know, are you, do you have plans to go back down to Miami to be with your children? You know, because they're still, one's in high school and one's in middle school. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I would love to. I just, I don't have any way to do that right now, you know. And I, when he said that to me, he's like, because he, he said, they need you. And, you know, I felt, like, really guilty, like, oh, God, he's right. Um, and that's two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, it's, it's I, I have been, I see them, you know, every, every month, and I've been doing living amends with that. And, um we uh my sponsor and i we still talk you know every day he's at the meeting with me and um he doesn't bring it up anymore he he sees that you know i've i've kind of made a life here 
and and my life involves a very loving relationship with my children. Um, you know, I've been able to um, save money in these two years, and that's a direct re- result of not spending money on drugs and alcohol and having a program in place. And my sponsor, he he actually works in finance, and he's been helpful in that regards. He's given me great advice. Um, not that that's the sponsor's responsibility, but he he's been yeah, able to I, do I that. I think it specifically says in the book that we are not financial advisors. Yeah, I asked. Uh, yeah, no, I I asked him because of that's his yeah, field yeah, of yeah, specialty, and you know he he's like you know it's you know you are my friend now. Like we, I've gotten through the steps, and now he he lets me know that James, you know, we're, when you were going through the steps, I'm your sponsor. You know, we're we're AA friends now. I'm still your sponsor. You can come to me with anything, but, but I consider us to be friends now, and that's really cool. You know, because I remember for the first year, um, he was like, he's like, you know, I'm not gonna ask you to come over to my house for the first year. I, I don't do that with anyone. <laughs> and I was like, that's probably pretty smart. Yeah. We get a lot of crazy you, in you here. Lose <laughs> a lot of mattresses on fire. <laughs> but. uh so, you know, my sponsor's been very supportive um, with my decisions as long as I'm doing the, the next right thing. And he he goes to the meeting every single day, except when he doesn't. And that's the same as me, every single day, except, except when, when I don't. Know. That's pretty much like maybe five times a year I don't. And there's, uh, yeah, thank you for that, guys. It, it, and it's funny how many... I don't. I don't know if it says in the big book. It might be the Living Silver book. the The phrase, and I'm probably going to butcher it. Um, take uh, Take what you need and leave like the rest. You know, it's like I had a friend that was agnostic in the program, and they had a really tough time with turning it over. So much so that uh, when it came to the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting. He would either stay seated at the table or get up and go in the kitchen because he couldn't be around it. And it was just something that he's dealing with. And if, you know, you're dealing, you're listening to this and you, uh, you know, still either searching for a higher power or having a difficult time with it, that's fine. It's a season, you know, as I look at it, you know, uh, sometimes we, we get what we get when we get it and i'm i'm very glad that i heard that statement of you know take what you need and leave the rest as if we're going to a buffet okay i and it's and this is in a very literal sense if i go to say a golden corral now i will i honestly i will try a little bit of everything to just see if I if I like it and what it does and the stuff that I like today tomorrow I might not to, you know it might it might not be good for me and I'm glad that I can kind of piecemeal put this together because when I was in the hospital and my wife didn't know if she was going to be there for two weeks um, or if it was going to be you know needing to have the baby immediately. I was able to grab a couple things before we left, and one of those things was clothes. The second was the big book. And I sat there, and I was reading the big book, 
and jumping around, and that was very, very helpful for me. You know, and sometimes if I don't want to read, I will just YouTube, um, you know, Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and listen to a robot voice. And it's unfortunate that it's like it's it's an English voice, and it's really tough to understand. So it's like heavily British and uh, kind of robotic, and I'm like, maybe I should stop being such a cheapskate and just pay for the book on Audible. Like a fat Brit? Yeah, like like an overweight British person is what it sounds like. Wow, people, wow. Uh, And it's really, it's difficult in between all the crumpets to... (laughs) To understand every word. What is a crumpet? Uh, a crumpet is, it's like a cookie pastry thing. Do you want to chime in on this, Dennis? No, I do not like this okay. conversation. So it's like a cookie biscuit type item. Like a pastry. cannoli? Like a cannoli, like that. Nothing like a cannoli. Like, no, <laughs> I believe he said granoli. Didn't you say granoli? I said cannoli. Oh, it's different Nothing than a cannoli. Like a cannoli. It is a little like a granoli, though, in that... <laughs> It's, it was tough to understand. Is that a tiny granola bar? <laughs> it was very miniature and a little healthier. Um, so, it, but I was glad that it was there and that I was able to actually have that. The crumpet. The, yes, the crumpet. And as I was sitting in the, the, like the hospital room, I was able to reference that and call my sponsor and um, have meditation sessions with him while I was in the bathroom, just kind of like sitting there. And the nurse came in and my wife, um, she, she said, oh, where, where's your husband? And my wife said, oh, he's in the, in the bathroom talking to a friend. And she said, well, I'm, like, I'm really glad that you guys have, uh, have friends to reach out to and everything else right now. Because I don't know about you guys, but the friends in AA are honestly a different caliber, um, especially friends that like you two kind of came into the rooms at the same time together and went through some of the same steps together. The three of us went to the same retreat together and we'll always have that, you know, and that's something that's really important. Even though like the three of us went through, um, the steps at different time because I had some time on you guys from when I first came in and worked the steps the first time. It's still the bond that I have with James, uh, having the same sponsor, and also with Dennis mm-hmm. with liking a lot of the same, you know, whether it's films crumpets. or well, crumpets. In a way, it's it's like you know when we come in here, we're kind of reborn into a new life, and we have to learn how to live again. So when we come in around the same time or like or in the same meetings and and go through the steps around the same time it's it's almost like we're growing up together like we're siblings you know what yeah. i'm saying and it's it's like yeah we like grow up together we become new people together and there that's a bond you kind of can't recreate mm-hmm. you know we we can play with legos later i don't know okay i just if i can if i can just find someone to make fun of overweight British people with later. That's really all I'm looking for. It's not me. Sounds like it's not, Dennis. Dennis, when it comes to uh, what you went through with your grandmother passing away and the relationship that you were able to have um, towards the last, whether it was, uh, what would you say, months that she was here? Like how many times were you able to 
to spend with her. I I don't know why you keep bringing that up. It really hurts. Like it's sad. Yeah. Like, why do you bring it up? Because this is the the topic is trouble and recovery. Oh, okay. So that way, everybody um, that's going through a loss of somebody. Yeah. It's like those memories I, that you you had. What did you learn from that yeah. experience? Well, first I'll say like like when I was going through it, it, it was kind of a, like a couple of years that it was coming. You know, where it started with a fall. And then she had to go to the hospital and then like have another fall. And so it was kind of like, you know, she was, she lived to be like 92 years old. So when you get up to like that 90 age and stuff, it, the, you kind of start to see a decline in one way or another. And uh, so it was, it was a course of a period, but over the, like the last year of her life, I was able to go down there several times and visit her and kind of you know, be there. Um, I think as far as what I learned, I learned like, you know, early on when I came into into the rooms, someone like would say, like one of the old timers would always say like, like show up to life. You know what I'm saying? Just show up. And that was one of my biggest problems is I wasn't showing up to life. So through this, this like experience and other experiences and stuff like that, I learned that like, I can show up, you know what I'm saying? No matter like how bad I feel, how like scary the situation is or like sad the situation is or whatever I'm emotionally dealing with that I can just show up, you know what I'm saying? And I learned that like none, like a lot of this stuff in my, in my life has nothing to actually do with me. You know what I'm saying? I didn't need to show up for myself. I need to show up for my family and for you know her and and stuff like that so once i like was able to like mentally and spiritually take myself out of it then you know it's no longer about me or how i'm feeling i just got to make sure like i can show up and be there you know what i'm saying when my sister's crying and hugging me and stuff like that it has nothing to do with me it's for them and i think for me anyways it makes it easier the more i remove myself from it you know, and I, and I, you know, I learned that I could do that. I was still scared. It was a while before like anxiety and fear and stuff got like pushed out enough to like, it doesn't affect me, but I, I can push through that, you know? Mm-hmm. James, like, how did you grow with the, the trouble you had in recovery? What did you learn from it? <clears throat> well, well, I learned one to be more responsible um, with just every aspect of, of life. When you come in here and you 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 clean your your yourself up and you you stop doing drugs and alcohol and you get rid of all that baggage, you can start building on a foundation. And you know, basically, everything that I had done in the past led up to this just this destructive downfall including who knows my blood clot you know that could have been a direct result of drinking so much um i don't know that but i do know that through it all um as i started to to rebuild um i had to change everything and that meant that i had to be a planner where i never planned anything um you know, my lack of planning was everyone else's emergency for so long. And people, my father, my mother, 
my sisters, you know, I'd have to borrow money from them. It got to the point where I would call them and they would be like, they were annoyed to hear from me because they, they, they knew that I would just be asking for money. So one of the, the benefits of getting through what I went through, everything I, I, I got through is that I know what it's like on the other side and I know that I never want to be that way again. And I know that by doing the next right thing, um, planning a life, seeing into the future, and doing it together with my with my wife, that no matter what happens and what comes at me, you know, as long as I have a, a good spiritual connection with my higher power, I go to meetings. I've been through the steps. I'm gonna have an okay time in life, and I'm gonna be okay. Um, you know, I, I've learned that by just doing what I say I'm going to do and doing the next right thing, there's really not much anyone can say or or anything that can happen to me that is really going to bring me down because, because one, I know in my heart that I am doing the right thing. So no matter what anyone says, like, well, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. You can't say anything to bring me down. And, um, it, yeah, it's just, it's just a good feeling to be okay and to know that God has me. Yeah, I, I'm tremendously grateful the the slogans. You mentioned a couple of them because um, it breaks it down. And I, I know, for me, I need to hear those slogans and the message over and over again before it actually clicks in. You know, I probably heard the slogans 30 or 40 times before I was like, oh yeah, but like do the next right thing is how progress, not perfection actually happens. And sometimes you don't realize that you're actually changing just because you're showing up like you talked about Dennis and that you're, uh, you're being left less self-centered and being of, uh, you know, huge service to the people around you. I don't, I don't think I, was truly told that about myself till my my wife went through all this and she looked at me in my eyes a way that I don't know I don't think she ever did before and I don't think she ever has again in knowing that she felt safe and that there was nothing that I wasn't going to do to make sure that she was okay and I will honestly tell you that what she saw was God in me. It was not, it was not me. It was um, who I would like to be all the time. And then that's where progress, not perfection sits in, you know. But she was like, whoa, like you were like an all-star through all this. And I'm like, all I did was I made sure to not make it about me. Because I made it about me the first, let me see, well, my daughter's, so the, the first eight years of our relationship, even when I was in sobriety, I still made it more about me. And I, I would like to say that that's not the truth, but it, it did take a bit, you know, and for it to be consistent, that's a miracle, you know. I, I think if we're being honest, there's always stuff that you can change about yourself, but I was grateful to have that moment. And I don't even, I, I didn't even bring it up to her. I don't know if she knows how much that moment meant to me. But 
it, it meant a lot because I think she'd like to hear it from you. Yeah. Yeah. I and you know what? Maybe next year I'll put that in the Valentine's Day card. You know? <laughs> don't wait um, a year. Tell her today. I don't know, man. <laughs> I told you I told you I, I gotta, put I from my heart I put Jenny this year to my I wife know. named Ashley. But if you tell and, her if you tell her what you just said today, it'll make up for her being pissed about the Jenny. I don't know, thing. man. I like saving those nuggets. You know? <laughs> I uh How's your back doing on the couch? Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> and I don't know why they even make couches with springs anymore. You know? It's like, how unnecessary. It's it's 2020, damn it. Um, is, there, is there anything else you guys want to share on Trouble and Recovery before we wrap it up? You guys, you guys feeling that, good? I, I'll add that, like, whatever the trouble is, it's temporary. It's going to pass. Use everything that your your tools and every, the fellowship, your higher power, and everything to get through it. But whatever you do, if you pick up a drink or a drug or whatever, it's not going to help. It's going to make it worse. So, yeah. I would just say, um, in all honesty, honesty, try not to take things personally, because uh, people can say some mean things. Things happen, and I know it feels like that it's happening to you. Uh, but when you internalize it, you take it personally. You, you, you I from I myself, I, I just get into an emotional wreck. So when I stop taking things personally, it's it's a lot easier. And I just know that the world out there has their way, and I have my way, which is turning to a higher power. Thank you. Awesome, I appreciate it, guys. We'll be back next Thursday, sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on the topic of surrender in episode 24. Where the defective character is entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember to stay in the herd, and we'll see you next time. Bye. He should not be hitting you, Jenny. Oh, no.